Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, and your co-host for the next hour. Uh, we welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. This is episode 170. And send us your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests will try to answer you live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, and currently working on his second bestseller to come soon. He is a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, and he is one of the top followers for CIOs and CMOs on Twitter, a business evangelist himself. More importantly, he's being seen and broadcast live on business shows all around the world and also a speaker in his own right. But that's not important. We're here to talk about some awesome guests this week. Who do we have first for episode 170? Yes, Ray. Ray, we're uh, starting uh, episode 170 with Robert Glazer, founder and CEO of Global Performance Marketing Agency, Acceleration Partners. Under Robert's uh, leadership, Acceleration Partners has received numerous awards, Glassdoor Employee Choice Award, Ad Age Best Place to Work, Entrepreneur's Top Company Culture, Great Place to Work, Fortune's Best Small uh, and Medium Workplace, and Boston Globe's Top Workplace. He's also been named Glassdoor's list of top CEOs of small and medium companies. His current ranking U.S. is number two. He's a regular columnist for Forbes and Entrepreneur, and um, his uh, content reaches over 5 million people worldwide. That's amazing. Uh, Ray, myself, and all of the Disrupt TV uh, team read his <laughs> weekly uh, newsletter, Friday Forward, which reaches 100,000 individual and business leaders across 60-plus countries. He's author of an international best-selling book. We're going to talk about his book, Elevate. I just want to read what uh, Adam Grant said. Bob Glazer is an unusually forward-thinking leader. <laughs> so we're going to read about his amazing new book. His Elevate podcast, a top 100 podcast, uh, reaches over 20 countries and has an avid following of business and entrepreneurs. He's an amazing follow on Twitter at Robert underscore Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R. Welcome back, Robert, to Disrupt TV. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I regret we wasted most of the interview on the, uh, the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to cut it down. You've done a lot, my man. You've done a lot. <laughs> so, well, hey, yeah, usually people pick you. one thing, not the whole thing, but it's, it's all good. <laughs> Hey, well, hey, congratulations on the book. And, you know, one of the things that I really like the book was really about this concept of capacity building. And I think that's a key concept for everybody to understand. What is it? What isn't it? Which is more important. And how can it change your life? Yeah, so I, I look at capacity as both a personal development and, and a leadership strategy. And, and really, it's how, how do you get better? And, and how do you step up and improve? I think we tend to look at high achievers and we think, oh, what does this person have? What are the advantages that they have that I don't versus looking within about what it is that we can do? So uh, the framework really follows four elements of, of capacity that I've seen in all high achievers, and that is spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional. And, and a high level spiritual is not religious. It's what are your values and what do you want most? Intellectual is sort of you, how, how you learn and improve. Physical is your health and well-being and emotional is your relationships with other people, resilience, kind of how you react to things outside um, your control. And, and I, I think when, if you really dive into all of them, what I realized of starting Friday Forward was it really was about these topics consistently. 
And when you dive into them, you can see that if you're, if you're improving in all of those simultaneously, you will achieve at a really high level. And you, know, you read off a bunch of awards about our company. Our, our strategy for our people has really been to build their capacity holistically. So how, how do we work with them to get better overall? And we get the business benefit of that and they get the personal benefit and our better uh, you know, parents and kids and husbands and, and, and wives. And um, I, I think that's just kind of the ultimate uh, win-win. For, for companies growing quickly, you need your people to really improve um, so you don't have to be constantly swapping in new parts. But one of the interesting things you're talking about is the fact that individuals have to improve themselves, right? That's the capacity. It starts with your internal piece versus something external as an external force. So yeah, yeah. And I, I think we can all get better. I think we can all do a lot more. We're usually in our own way. You know, mm -hmm. we would let one of those or more of those areas sort of get out of whack. Um, I think spiritual is the one for a lot of people that that if they I would say if you can't articulate what you want most in life and your core values, it's really hard to make decisions and, and do a lot of these other things, right? I see a lot of people you know, achieving at a high level, or, or we'd say successful. Oh, look, this person's really successful. But you might find out that they're actually pretty miserable because what they're doing really well doesn't make them happy in, in any way, shape, or form, or it doesn't make them fulfilled. So for a lot of people, that that's where some of the hardest work is. I think intellectual, again, really more about how you learn, improve. Uh, physical is easy for us to understand, right? There's this weight on the floor, it's 10 pounds, I can barely lift it four times. If I keep lifting it for 90 days, you know, five times a day or three or five times a day, in 90 days, I'll be able to do 25 times. I think in these other areas, our relationships, what we want, our ability to learn, we kind of think like, oh, I have that or I don't have that. Not like I can actually work on it and do the reps in the same way and 90 days later, you know, be better at it. Yeah, it's terrific. First of all, congratulations on the book. I can open up to any page in the book and there's wisdom on that page. So it's, it's, it's like, it has a coffee table feel. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's kind of like a journal, it, you know, you can read it in one sitting, but it's meant to be read at different times, pick it yeah. up, zone back in on an area. There's a lot of visuals in it. Um, yeah, so it has, it has sort of that, yeah, that's what we were going for. Well, you achieved it because again, the narrative is, is, is brilliant, but also there's beautiful imagery that invokes the right emotion with the right narrative. So there's a harmony throughout the book. You write, to be clear, capacity building is not about doing more. It's about doing more of the right things. And you follow up by saying that inspiration is valuable, but it's not enough to affect real change. So I read your newsletter every week. And there's only like you and Seth Godin and a handful of people that have the discipline to write so much throughout the year. And some of your long reads are equivalent to like Godin's 20 blogs. But so you have incredible depth to what you write. And it is meant to inspire, but you write here that it's, it's not enough to affect real change. So when you talk about spiritual capacity, intellectual capacity, physical, emotional, are they built on top of each other? And which one of them I think is the most, do you think is the most important or foundational in terms of being happy, not just achieving more? Yeah, so, well, that's a tricky question because I, I see them more as quadrants of a ball. And you can imagine like, if, the, if they're all growing in tandem, the ball gets bigger, there's a graphic of this in the book, it, ha, it will have more momentum. If one of those quadrants is totally flat, the thing's gonna you know, bounce in a circle. So right. I, I, I do think they, they go in order because I think you, if you know what you want and what you want most and what your values are, that drives a lot of where you want to improve your intellectual capacity and what do you want to learn, what do you need to learn in service of what you want 
most. And that's where you set your goals and figure out kind of how to get there. You know, physical is how you take care of yourself along the way. And emotional is, okay, I, I, if, if, I'm, if I'm a race car and spiritual is my design of the car and intellectual is I build it and physical is I, I test it out on, on my practice track. Like yeah. what happens when I put it in the world with other cars driving at 200 miles an hour, right? I, some drivers <laughs> panic and crash into the wall and others, you know, do, do great. So I, I think any of these, what could, what is more, there's two ways to be unhappy. I, um, at, at, yeah, there's the, there's the, the sort of look. So the first is that you would be doing the wrong things. So that's why you haven't figured out kind of what's most important to you. Or if you, and this is, goes to alignment, you know exactly what you want, but you're still spending all of your time not doing anything in that direction. I think either one of those would, would sort of lead to, to dissatisfaction. I want, to, I want to follow up. All those awards that I mentioned, you, your company has, winning, has been winning for two, three, four years. Consecutive years, you've been named yeah. best culture, best company, top-ranking CEO. Is it upon reflection where you're inundated with questions in terms of how do you keep achieving best place, best culture, best leader that led to your realization of these components that you holistically define in terms of reaching full potential and capacity? Yeah, so it's a great question. So the book, this was not the book I went to write. I actually <laughs> went to write a compilation of, of Friday Forwards because I had years of these and people yeah. had only seen the most recent ones. And I, and then ironically, I may now have a compilation coming out. But what people said was publishers aren't interested in, in compilations. And, no, I, and I met not. an agent and he said, look, you have, you have a story to tell here. And I was like, all right, what's this story? So I actually sit down and I was like, how did I improve really my life and, and what, and what, how did Friday Ford, why was Friday Ford making an impact on all these strangers lives who would write me all these crazy emails about the things that they were changing or doing or otherwise. <laughs> and, and how this strategy of building our employees holistically, and we talked about capacity. I spent a lot of time thinking and drawing, and then I realized it was actually all the same formula. And when I looked at other high performers, it was all the same formula. So it'd been the same thing. What, I, what, what we were doing in the company, the strategy behind Friday Forward, how I had been able to kind of really like move from underachieving to overachieving was all the same thing. And, and like a lot of things or a lot of books, you know the pieces, but when someone lays you out the framework and now you can ex mm. access it, yeah. you can really kind of um, make change. So that's what happened was two years after originally writing a compilation book, I, I reverse engineered the whole thing. And I actually <laughs> went back and I've taxonomized all the Friday forwards under one or more of the capacities oh, awesome. because they all reinforce one of those areas. You know, they talk about figuring out what you want, learning, improving, taking care of yourself, you know, relation to other people and, and stuff like that. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Hey, and now one of the other things that you spend a lot of time talking about is, is really that, you know, this part on the emotional capacity. And, and I really love this, right? Because this is really, I mean, your perspective and your emotion actually changes the way you interact yeah. with people. And that management of emotions is critical to your performance. Talk a little bit about more about that, because that's something most people don't realize. Like if you walk around looking around, you're pissed all day. Yeah, people are gonna think yeah. that you're just pissed and they're gonna react differently. Well, it, or if you walk around with a smile, it, it's very, very different. Yeah, or more practically in this, this overlaps, I think this is, again, it's not something you have or you don't have. Let's pretend I'll make, I'll make my Vala the, the, the good guy in this. Vala and I have a difficult <laughs> conversation at 9 a.m in the morning right right he knows how to have these conversations he's had them 
He doesn't lose sleep the night before he has to have him. Maybe because he's improved his intellectual capacity and read and listened to some really good stuff about difficult conversations, right? Mm -hmm. So his, his operating system is more likely to handle him. So he and I have this conversation at 9.10, right? The rest of the day, he goes and does his stuff. He does his podcast. He speaks. He does all stuff. I'm like stewing. I'm pissed. I can't get anything done because I'm replaying this conversation <laughs> in my head. That is a difference in emotional capacity, right? So we had the same... 12 hours the rest of the day he spent his forgetting about me 10 minutes later and i could not get over this interaction and i wasted the next 12 hours of my life you know replaying this and i think it is this is where it is a couple things right this is why they inter in, 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 interlapse if i was clear my spiritual capacity maybe i should have been like i shouldn't even care about this it's not even important to me right if i had gotten a good night's sleep on my physical yep. capacity yep. maybe i wouldn't have been so irritable and and, and bothered by this and like I said, on intellectual, if I actually knew how to do this or I had done it before, I had studied Patty McCord's work on, on difficult conversations or Kim Scott's work on radical candor, and I actually I had this software in my operating system, then I could have had this conversation and, 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 and processed it a lot better. So I, I always love that. We're like, we both experienced the same thing. He never thought about me again, and I thought about him all the rest of the day. day. I realized that, yeah, that day. doesn't sound good, but that's fine. Yeah. That's awesome. I, um, you know, so once in a while, I'll remind people on, on, on Twitter that you're never too old to pursue and uh, your, your goals and objectives. And uh, I, I, I write that I wrote my first book after 40. I wrote my first blog after the age 40. I sent my first tweet after the age 40. You know, um, 40 was a good year for you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk, with, with the Kentucky Fried Chicken, he was 53, yeah, I think, when he invented it. Right? Colonel Sanders. Yeah. And, uh, and so you write about, you know, physical capacity in the book. And again, like beautiful pictures that talk about reaching full potential and, and pushing yourself and understanding that, you know, um, that you'd be surprised how, how, how much limits you have. and. And you write, anybody, regardless of age or fitness, can improve their performance by building their physical capacity. And what I like about how each chapter ends, or what you include, is you actually put action steps in your book. So yeah. when you talk about physical capacity or any of the four capacities, you actually give a blueprint in terms of what you can think about or do in order to build those muscles. Um, in, in this case, physical capacity. Can you talk a little bit about you know, why age shouldn't limit you from being able to build physical capacity. Yeah, I, it, look, it's just another uh, excuse. Um, I talk about in the book how I read, I had really not run, other than in support of some sport I was playing, you know, before yeah. I was 35, I really hadn't run more than a mile or two. I ran an Olympic triathlon. I just did the work. I did what was required. And it, in an ironic twist, a lot of people who were not athletic earlier in their life, a lot of people I know who are runners or decathletes or all that stuff, they can't walk at 40, right? I mean, they, they, their cartilage, the knees, like everything's gone. <laughs> you know, some people actually could flip this excuse where your tires don't have a lot of wear and it's just a matter of doing the work. If I've seen anyone say, I want to do a 5K, I want to do a 10K, whatever, and they just follow the protocol and they do 1% more every day, they all get there. It's just, it, it's a self-limiting belief. It's easier to say I can't do it than to say I really don't want to do the work that's required. Right, right. Yeah. And, you, and one of your uh, recommendations is just get eight hours of sleep. Like just yeah. get sufficient get, rest and you'll get, be able to- yep. get, get the yep, sleep yep. you need. My other favorite recommendation is like pay 
$50 to sign up for any race or any 5k or a walk or charity like five months from now it's better than a gym membership because it will force you to do the training and actually the training is more valuable than the than the event I, but i my wife didn't want to do a triathlon and and i signed her up uh and it was like 75 bucks and i mean we waste a lot of money uh, on other things but something about that thing like all right i you know i'm 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 going to do it. So I, 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 I believe in picking whatever it is and make the deposit. It, it's awesome. powerful. Make a deposit. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love no, that. but hey, but the interesting one for me too was really this thing around spiritual capacity. I mean, that's yeah. different for everybody, right? I mean, sometimes it's religion. Sometimes it's finding yeah. peace with yourself, right? Um, and, you know, that's one of those ones where, like, I think people have to find their own road. But, but what do you think, that, what's been working, like, from, from your clients, yeah. from your employees? Like, how do people get to that inner peace? Yeah, I think, look, there's uh, discovering your core purpose and why you exist in that, which is a, a deeper process that takes some time. But I think that everyone should be able to articulate their core values, and they should do the work they need to do to do that. Mm -hmm. Because, to me, you know them, you have them. It's not, it, it's, it, it's an actualization or discovery process. It's not an invention process. As I say, like a lot, it's kind of like if you're in a tunnel and the car, like, you know, when you hit the wall, if it was dark, you're like, ah, that's sort of, uh, I hit the wall. <laughs> and then you go, you go hit the other, other wall, you know, and you're going to get through the tunnel. Like your car is just gonna be pretty beat up. But I mean, to me, the core value lines are like the lights are on and the lines are painted. And, and you say, look, this is, this is where I should go to school. This is who I should marry. This is where I should work. These big decisions, or even the smaller ones, if you look at them, if your core values are on your desk and you say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm someone like me. One of my core values is long-term orientation. I inherently like, don't feel good about things that have like a short-term gain and then will fall mm -hmm. apart. So if someone said, hey, do you want to get in on this like, uh, you know, medical marijuana thing we're doing and we're not sure what's going to happen with regulation, but right now it's 22 you know, percent interest a month. Or, like, some people would be like all in on that. Like to me, it just, it, it, it gives, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, and, and if I, if I violate my core value with that decision, I, I, I will not feel good. So I'm usually the reverse. I bet on the thing that will pay off in the long run and not, not the short run. So it's really, really helpful as a decision guide. I think that if people can articulate them rather than know when they have that feeling when they violated them, as these decisions are in front of them, it, 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 you just become smarter. And this is a big thing we do when training leaders is, well, A, when they discover their core values, they often find they're very aligned with our company's core values because we've been intentional in that. But they know how to explain to their own team members what's important to them when they've crossed a line. We just did this training recently and someone realized, you know, an issue that was very formative in their childhood that formed one of their core values. They had struggled with employees when they sort of crossed that line, but they didn't realize that's why those people were frustrating them. And now we're yep. able to say, hey, look, this, this issue is really, and here's why, I'll tell you why. Like, I, here's why this is really important to me. And so if I see signs of this, like it doesn't, it doesn't really work well for me. So I, we've, we have seen huge step up in the performance of our leaders once they are able to articulate their own personal core values. Very cool. Uh, my last question, when I think about like breakthrough, breakthrough innovation, uh, disruptive technology, I think about how individuals, companies, uh, challenge dominant logic. 10 years ago, dominant logic would have said people aren't going to get into strangers' cars to travel from A to B. <laughs> have you uh, seen that slide? Don't use the internet and never get into a stranger's car. Now we yeah, actually yeah. use the internet to summon strangers yeah. to get into their car. It's yeah, a great or, slide. Or yeah. renting your property to strangers. Right. Yeah. Was, so in the process of writing this book and identifying four 
dimensions of capacity. Did you end up ultimately uh, challenging dominant logic or what was the biggest takeaway or learning in the process of writing this book, which you didn't start out writing, but ended up creating something beautiful. So what did I you think, yeah, I, I'll answer a different way. I, I think a lot of these things happen in an industry gets usurped because it lives in a bubble, right? And you become mm -hmm. an echo chamber of your own thoughts. I had really good peer group, friend group who I would send it to. I would pitch the ideas to. They rip it apart. They tell me yeah. it suck. They'd mark it up. I, you, it's honest, sometimes you have to ask people like they, I'm like, you can't offend me. Like, like mark it up. I want to know now. And so that I, they weren't called those originally. Like I, I, I floated a lot of test bubbles, but it was a good cross section of people that had different perspectives. Awesome. I think that's really important. I think a lot of times you get like either this bubble or group think of talking to, you know, they talk about the Medici effect and the Renaissance of all these different uh, disciplines coming together and all the innovation that it unleashed. I think that's really true. I think when I travel, when I get ideas from other geographies, things like, wow, why have we accepted this as normal here when, you know, they don't do it over there? Um, I, I, that's the type of stuff I found is, is helpful. Well done. This well is done. awesome. We are here with Robert Glazier or Bob Glazier. Last on episode 121. You can follow him at Robert underscore Glazier. He's a founder and CEO at Acceleration Partners and his new book, Elevate, Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself and Others, available at bookstores everywhere. Please get the book and they're now a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. So congratulations, thanks for being on the show. Thank, thanks both and uh, maybe I'll be back for 250, it sounds like. Uh, yeah. Sooner, sooner. yeah, we're spacing them out, but we're gonna get, we're gonna get a Disrupt TV, like, you know, coffee somewhere in Boston right. or something. You're so. a first ballot Hall of Famer, come back. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being on the show. All right. Wow. No, terrific book. I tell you, it's uh, it's good to reflect about when you get to a certain place in your career or life, and you you know it's a it's a it's a climb, and you got to focus on the companionship and the journey. And books like this help you kind of remind yourself of you know why we do what we do and what really matters. So um, it's a terrific book. And I said it's like a coffee book quality, right? You oh know, my God, it's it's really well done. Yeah, yeah, you just flip to it. And, you know, Ray, you're writing your your next bestseller. So you've got <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Great examples but, uh, to uh, reference, although your topic is super deep and rich. And uh, so um, we're, we're all looking forward. We got a glimpse of your book at the Constellation uh, Connected Enterprise Conference uh, with one of your keynotes. And uh, it was pretty remarkable, uh, the, the buzz around the, the it is. I know when you start with the comment that every every startup begins as a monopoly, it gets people's attention. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but today's today's broadcast is really all about leadership. People have taken leadership, taken stuff up. You know, our next guest once once we get the video up and running, um, it's going to be awesome, right? We're going to talk about something really really interest interesting in terms of like what happened and how how someone actually made a difference, right? Bob's book was really Robert's book was really about talking about you know, what you can do to improve yourselves, right? And what we have with our next guest is really about how she's able to, how she did it, right? right and something right. huge. And, and I'm really looking forward to that story. So yeah, but that's- I, uh, I, think, I think what Robert mentions, you know, very early on in the book, any, any, any time an individual reaches peak performance or high capacity, you have to have passion, you have to have purpose, you have to have a vision. You're often fortunate enough to have mentors and sponsors that can help you along the way, but you know, it's hard to reach peak potential, full capacity on any of these dimensions, spiritual, emotional, physical, intellectual, without, you know, an opportunity to lead with your heart. 
So the intellectual part's important. You got to build those muscles and be able to have domain expertise and, and, yep. and be able to contribute. But at the end of the day, the emotional element uh, is, is key. But so, hey, we're going to start with Liz. Um, let's do that. Let's go to our next guest. Right. Awesome. Right. Awesome. So uh, it's, again, our privilege to have uh, another uh, guest who's been on the show before. We have Liz Miller, Vice President and Principal. But in a new capacity. This is new title at Constellation uh, Research, focused on business demands of today's chief marketing officers. The last time Liz was on the show, representing CMO Council, we talked about you know the changing role and expectations of successful CMOs. So this whole role of CMO in the evolution of customer engagement and the rising requirement for new security posture that accounts for threat to brand trust. At my company, yeah. trust is the number one core value. So as CMO, champion of the brand, uh, understanding how you can protect your brand with trust is key. Liz is a 20 year marketing veteran. So she started when she was four in her uh, new role. <laughs> Liz will offer guidance on the leadership, business transformation and technology requirements for today's marketing organizations on how to effectively transform business models to stay competitive in this shifting digital landscape. Prior to joining Constellation, which was just about a week ago. <laughs> yeah, like seven days, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Liz oversaw research program and content for the Chief Marketing Office Officer Council, developing thought leadership agendas for CMOs around the globe. She's an amazing follow on Twitter at Liz K. Miller, L-I-Z-K-M-I-L-L-E-R. Welcome back, Liz, to Disrupt TV, and congratulations on your new adventure. Oh, <laughs> Thank you, Vala. And they, I guess we have to blame Ray for that one. So I don't know. <laughs> no problem. I blame no problem. All, all success stories I blame on Ray. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Duh. Well, well uh, you know, hey, look, part of the reason we brought you on board was really your wide range of experiences. And, and people know you for certain things. And I just want to go a little yeah. bit further into your past. I mean, you were in sports marketing way, way back. I was. Before Gosh, you were a CMO whisperer. So tell us a little about that journey. So, Yeah, you know, it's, it's actually where I started my career was in professional sports. And I was, um, I, I kind of view those years as the years I sold ice to an Eskimo. Like it just, it, like who wanted to watch professional indoor soccer in 1993? Oh my Here's God, the 1993, like, no. not now, 1993, wow. No, 93, right? Like, so it was pre-Major League Soccer. Um, it was post-NASL for any soccer fans out there. Uh, and MISL and all of that good stuff. But um, it was this really cool concept. Um, NBA and NHL owners uh, who had empty arenas in the summertime thought, I've got this equipment, I can toss down some AstroTurf, and I can have this really fun game of indoor soccer, and it can be a family-oriented sport. So we were going out and selling this sport of soccer. Uh, at the time, it was the number one participation sport uh, in all of America. So it was kind of getting kids and their families to come and have a great night out at some of the, like some of the best arenas in the, in the country, really. And uh, went from soccer into, um, you know, another super mainstream sport that a lot of women get into, professional boxing. Um, and so was running marketing and communications uh, and was working for uh, the amazing team at Forum Boxing and the great folks over uh, at, well, then the Great Western Forum and, uh, and Forum Sports, which was, of course, owned by uh, the late Dr. Jerry Buss. So, uh, you know, sports was kind of the, the starting point for me. But, you know, you know, Ray, when you say it, I, I then went on to be the CMO whisperer, I think the funny thing about what has 
shaped my career is that I started the first 10 years of my career was focused on fans and I was focused on the fan experience and kind of trying to, and, and one of the great things that I learned and I got a front seat to was with an organization like the Laker organization with folks like the bus family, you had people who didn't just see a fan as someone who paid for a ticket. Um, or a fan of someone who wore your logo or really liked your company. This was someone who woke up in the morning and was so excited to go to the game that they would rip open the newspaper at the time. Remember, it's like the 90s, so the newspaper. Uh, <laughs> it would turn on the radio and would watch TV. And you, as a marketer, had to think through, was I touching that person every single point of their excitement in their day to keep them fired up? all through their day. So, you know, in the same way, um, you know, you might have a difficult uh, conversation in the morning and think about it all day. As a sports marketer, we wanted you to think about it all day. I want you to be excited about the game. And whether you were coming to the arena or whether you were watching it on TV, what did I need to do to make sure that your fan experience was everything that you expected? Because the thing that people, I think, maybe lose sight of when it comes to professional sports, it's the one thing that you market that you have zero control over the end outcome of your product, right? You can't control whether your team wins or loses a game. You don't get to control uh, how a fight goes. Um, and so you really have to craft the fan experience around what that You, you, you guys didn't stage the fight? You guys didn't stage yeah, the fight. No. Yeah, well, like you know, oddly, I, I have one of my. This is the nineties, right? I mean, you got a good hockey so game. Yeah, that's a whole nother disrupt TV that's episode that, like, is like TV. private. We'll charge money for. We'll call it the arena. It'll be right. So, um, I, I hate to do this because you know we've had one hundred and seventy shows and close to four hundred unique guests, and I don't really recall Ray and I ever asking a super controversial question of our guests. Do it. If you don't want, I think you're the right person to start this trend of super controversial questions. Oh, uh, you spent a lot of time in Boston. You work for the Laker organization. Bird or magic? Which one's your favorite? <laughs> That's such an unfair question. And there's lots of external like pressures on that. And I just, Remember, I can't answer. Remember, you've got East Coast like... audience and you have a West Coast audience. So what mm. Okay, like, <laughs> I got to say, so I'm always going to bleed Forum Gold and Forum Blue. And for my uh, former coworkers, we all know the uh, humor behind that commentary. Because, yes, those are actual colors. It's not purple and gold. It's Forum Blue and Forum Gold. Don't call it something else. Um, so, I, you know what? I'm a, I'm a Laker through and through. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I got to tell you, Larry Bird. <laughs> One of the all-time greats, and uh, yeah, you gotta well, ask I'll, I'll you, questions. Here's here's the thing, and this is what I learned uh, in sports: you have fans, and you have super fans, right? Um, yeah. And I think there are people who are fans of a franchise. You can be fans of a product, right? right. Or you can be fans of a category, right? And mm. and I think that that's the amazing thing in marketing today is we can segment it into all of those areas. I'm a fan of basketball. Yeah. Right. I'm a fan of hockey. Like I love <laughs> the game. I love going and watching. Like, I don't care who's playing. Right. I, it could be a high school team. I'm going to go watch it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so Same. I can also look at that and be like, Larry Bird is without question, one of the greatest players to have ever hit the parquet mm -hmm. ever. Um, because I'm a fan of basketball. 
Do I still bleed forum blue and forum gold? Yes. <laughs> I thought you guys were going to go with Kevin McHale, but okay, next. <laughs> but then you got Worthy, you got, you know, you've got... Oh, James Worthy, Mitch Kupchak, that whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and it just, it's such a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can you know, it's, it's, off for 20 it's minutes. amazing. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome but you to know the what? sports radio forecast here fan, with uh, Disrupt TV. <laughs> I know. My greatest, the person that's probably the biggest fan of is probably Dr. Buck. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the guy who invented customer experience. And Legend. I don't say that Legend. lightly. Um, this is a guy who sat in a completely silent and totally boring basketball game when he bought the franchise from Jack Kent Cook and was like, this is boring. Like, what do I do? And you got a jazz band to play. And that's why you've got music uh, now. And that's why games are fun. And they're a great experience to go to, you know. And uh, so I, I really got an opportunity to, uh, you know, learn in an environment that was led by customer experience before customer experience was a thing, right? This is, this is the, the late 90s. No, I mean, and no one experience was, was huge. Absolutely. I mean, that, right. that, that, you know, that guy pioneered fan experience. I mean, he pioneered it. And, and, you know, it was just, it was, such, it was so amazing to watch. And it was part of the culture. And it was part of, you know, just the electricity that flowed through the building, whether you were at the Lakers, whether you were at the Kings, whether wow. you were at Forum Boxing, whether Twilight you were at the Twilight Zone kicks everywhere. in, the fans are going crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to stay on this theme because, um, you know, if anybody watched Thursday Night Football NFL last night, Oh my God, what a game. <laughs> yeah, well, eight seconds left in the game, there was something that really tarnished the NFL brand and certainly the Cleveland organization with a scuffle between two players. Yeah. Um, but but one, of the, one of the coverage areas for you is security and protecting the brand. And certainly yeah. what transpired at the end of yesterday's game was damaging to the NFL brand. So when you consult CMOs and they tell you, Liz, we're in a hyper-connected knowledge-sharing economy, and if I'm an X as a service provider, SaaS, PaaS, where you know, I have to earn the right of my customer's business, protecting the brand, securing the, you know, the, 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 the brand is critically important. Tell us about your coverage area, but specifically, what advice do you give these digital marketeers who recognize yeah. that you, know, you can spend a lifetime building a reputation and lose it in eight seconds, or a 280 character tweet or, you know, the, the next yeah. that you deliver. That's, that's a great point, Bala. And I think that um, a lot of amazing things have happened thanks to digital transformation and disruption, right? We can uh, do kind of any experience that we put our minds to. We want to uh, take a fan and take, take one of our brand fans and who we segment into that category of most valuable customer and we can deliver them an augmented reality experience that lets them actually perform heart surgery if they want to, right? Like there, are, there is this world of possible out there. And there's also this really dangerous world of bad actors. Um, yes. And it's very real. Um, and it is very damaging. And it's very detrimental. And when it comes to the world of security, what we often forget, we don't think about it until something really bad happens, right? Yeah. So if you think of that game, you don't think about what does the NFL do if there's something so ugly and so disruptive and so negative? Um, like, okay, you might have to worry about that, but your commissioner, again, it's a completely different Disrupt TV show. But, um, you know, if you, you know, if you, you don't think about those eight seconds, you don't think about that thing that happened until it happened. Unfortunately, in a hyper-connected world where we are just going to get faster at this, we are going to unleash 
millions of headless devices into this ecosystem mm -hmm. that is going to pour data and connections into mm -hmm. our systems. We are exponentially increasing what a lot of people and what people in security call the attack surface, right? It sounds really horrible and marketers don't talk about things like attack surfaces. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that we're oftentimes the contributor to how that attack surface is spread, right? We've gone out and bought this kind of patchwork quilt of point solutions that's bringing user-generated content into our ecosystem and into our networks. Have we ever gone and asked the CISO, hey, so I'm gonna just go ahead and let anyone who wants to upload a file into our server, just go ahead and do that. That sounds fun, <laughs> doesn't it? Like, go and look at your CISO's face when that happens the next time, right? So there are lots of folks and, you know, it's not your stereotypical, um, you know, kid in the basement who's looking to mess with you. These are massive farms of people looking to do some real damage. Um, and I think when I talk to CMOs about brand security, I think where we often go is, is someone misusing my trademark? Is someone doing something or saying neg something negative about my brand? We kind of go there and that's a super legitimate place to go, right? Because that's, I think, where we as marketers feel most comfortable is my mark protected. But I think as we head into 2020 and as we head into the next 10 years, it's going to be critical for CMOs to start venturing into that place that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, which is more around that enterprise IT and device endpoint security conversation. And we have to start figuring out how do we as CMOs and how do we as marketers really champion the efforts that the CIO and the CISO are up to yeah. so that we can ensure that our infrastructure is secure, that our devices are secure. If I am manufacturing the next great transplanted heart that's going to have an IoT sensor in it, so I can do amazing things for people who are going to have transplants, yeah. am I helping manufacturing, am I helping the CISO, am I helping the CIO to champion embedded security so that we're not trying to build a wall or a moat around someone's heart, right? These are questions where people die. Um, and yep. it, it sounds horrible and scary, but yep. the upside is, is that for every innovation on connection, there's an innovation on security. And I think that now's the time that if we start, if we stop talking about, well, a breach is an eventuality, so let me just go ahead and try to build a wall that's super tall or a moat that's super deep. And if I catch it fast enough, I might be lucky to only lose 2% of revenue and recover in a quarter. That's mm -hmm. today's security conversation, right? Like, let's be very real about that. When Target had a breach, they right. only lost 3% of revenue, and they were okay at, after two quarters. But today, if you go to a consumer and be like, hey, is Target secure? What do they remember? Hey, wasn't that that company that had that breach right. about those credit cards? Right. That's what they remember. And that is modern brand security. Is yep. your name synonymous with trust or is it synonymous with a breach? No, it's an awesome concept. Modern brand security. I think that's something we should be talking more about. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are missing that. This is interesting. That convergence of security, CMO, content, MarTech. Like, what are you looking forward to covering? You know what, all of it, I, like, I think I'm about to like bite off like a ginormous piece of cake and I'm just like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do here? Um, it's really about, you know, the things, the things that I'm going to be looking at and the things I'm, I'm super excited about, it's, I want to look forward, like what's that toolkit yeah. for the chief marketing officer, right? Because I think we're really used to talking about the standard toolkit of automation and measurement, like we're, we're used to where we needed to go to get to digital.
okay, we're here, <laughs> like surprise. <laughs> um, what do we need in that toolkit to get to 2030? Because the mandate that we've got from the CEO and from the board is that the CMO is going to be the architect of growth. And we've got to be growing both bottom line, we've got to be saving operationally, we've got to be looking at efficiencies, we've got to look at new markets, and that's all going to be led by the customer. So how, what's that toolkit? What's that toolkit that we need right. to be the change agent for cultures, uh, to be the growth agent for our organization, and to really start to get serious about everything from you know, breaking down silos in our own organization uh, to what it's going to take to actually hear that voice of the customer. So we're looking at that. And then, of course, you know, looking at where security and, uh, you know, where security and brand meet. Uh, also going to be looking at where some of these clouds are going to start to converge. I think we're going to start seeing MarTech and AdTech start to eat itself a little bit. And I want to see uh, what bits kind of float out and uh, end up making maybe a little thunder. Uh, we're starting to see some new players and some new moves in uh, the area of communications clouds. Uh, you know, PR wants to get in on the mix. And we're like, wait, what? Mm, like, what's <laughs> happening? So lots of clouds happening and just want to try to figure out where it's going to rain. That's awesome. Wow. And you'll, you'll be at Dreamforce next week? I will be at Dreamforce next week. So got to mix it up, try to figure out what's going on. Uh, Vala, I, I understand that there are lots of people on these interwebs and on Twitter wanting to ask questions for you. So I'm just going to keep a running tag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Asking for Vala. Asking for Vala. Yeah. It's going to be a thing, Vala. We're making it a thing. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to live far beyond CCE. There's We're doing this. 6,000 people. Please. Liz Miller, Vice President and Principal <laughs> Alice at Constellation Research. You can follow her on Twitter at Liz K. Miller. And more importantly, she was last on episode 150 yes, in her previous please. role at Thank CMO you. Council. Welcome. Thank you for being on the show. So Thanks, guys. You're terrific. Thank you so much. We are coast to coast uh, on radio, and we're also on Apple, uh, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and also YouTube. So check us out. So who do we have next, Bala? That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I was, I'm surprised to hear how many radio stations carry this show. It's pretty cool. Our final guest, uh, it's a privilege for us to have Tiffany Ashley Bell, uh, uh, who's the founder and executive director of The Human Utility, a platform bringing people together from around the world to help individuals in Detroit and Baltimore with their water bills. Uh, since founded, uh, the founding in July 2014, the organization has helped nearly 1,000 families. Um, uh, and so this is an example of how we leverage technology to improve society. Tiffany was a 2017 Technology and Democracy Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. She's also 2014 Code for America Fellow and previously was CEO and founder of Pencil UN, enabling businesses to accept appointments online. You can follow Tiffany on Twitter, and I have no idea how she scored this handle. Tiffany, she <laughs> <laughs> would have been long gone. Uh, she so got she the self by early. Early adopter of technology, T-I-F-F-A-N-I. -I. I couldn't score Vala, and I thought that would be available. I can't believe you have Tiffany. Welcome, Tiffany, to Disrupt TV. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. I mean, when you're on the Twitter in April 2007, you can name yourself. Wow. Wow. She even yeah. was ahead of South by. Look at that. Super. Super. <laughs> Early adopter. Right. Well, I, so. I didn't join until uh, 2011. So, yeah, you're 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 cool. I I, <laughs> so, I think I joined 2008 or 2000. I think Aubrey also joined 2008. But hey, let's start with the story of how the human utility began. Look, I lived in Detroit. I lived in Baltimore. I mean, these are cities. I totally understand what you're talking about. But you were solving a human rights issue, and what got you inspired? 
I mean, so yeah, I mean, going back to 2014, I had a, a technology consulting job at uh, the city of Atlanta, and I got to see just basically how the sausage was made in local government. And I was also in this same time period, like reading about what happened in Detroit one morning with just water shut off. So yep. Atlantic had an article that talked about how 100,000 people were about to have to live without water because they couldn't afford the water bills. And so looking at that and just seeing, you know, what I was seeing in Atlanta as far as decisions and whatnot, it made me kind of wonder, like, okay, the people in Detroit, these are demonstrably poor people. What would make the city officials decide to turn those folks off? A lot of it had to do with, you know, bonds and things that they owe to Wall Street, but some of it just was, you know, not knowing their customers. And so, um, and not realizing that, you know, 40% of the city lives in poverty. And so you can't have some of the same uh, policies that you would have in a, a wealthier place. Um, and so, you know, knowing everything I knew about, you know, government and also being a rails developer, um, you know, just through this, it's a longer story, but just like for these purposes, like um, my co-founder, Christy Tillman and I decided to put together a website to find people who needed help with their water bills. And so that's how we got started. You created a marketplace for people who need their water bills to be paid and people who are willing to fund folks, um, especially given a lot of these folks actually were living in properties where things were leaking. They didn't even know they were leaking, right? They're paying bills for things that were ridiculous as well. So exactly. uh, to get fixes and other things that were in place. So exactly. yeah. I just I, mean, I want to reiterate it's a it's a nonprofit but yes that was kind of like the uh the thing. It was, uh, yeah, nonprofit marketplace definitely yes. So. I, I I find it remarkable that you know you're in the tech space you're successful and something motivates you to just think beyond yourself and do something for others at scale. Did you talk to a mentor sponsor did you call your parents did you tell your boss like I'm like how does that happen because you know, we had the founder of Charity Water on our show and he reminded us there's still 700 million people around the world that don't have access to clean drinking water. So not just bills, but just human rights. They don't have access to water, period. Um, how did you do it? Like, I mean, I know it's we only have a few minutes, but <laughs> somebody nudge you or are you just, just the most awesome person ever and you decided I'm going to do this? <laughs> no, like I said, I read about it and I also just was kind of turned off because let's just let's just be honest, most of the people that this is happening to are black people like myself. And we live in a country that is okay with allowing people of color to suffer in ways that are basically human rights abuses. Um, and I was just deeply unhappy about that. You know, and I, I just based on like my educational background, I went to a HBCU called Howard University in Washington, DC. Yeah. You, know, you are made aware of just problems in the world and your responsibility to work on those things. I mean, I was recruited by companies like Facebook and Google and stuff like that, but I feel like those companies, and no offense, because I'm sure there are audience members of theirs uh, watching the show, but those companies will always be there. But, you know, people need to start working on, on things now that, you know, are problems in the world. So that's kind of where I come from on all, all this stuff. Wow, go Bisons. So who are your mentors? Uh, like who taught you how to code? Who got you ex inspired uh, to, to be on the tech side? So, I mean, to be able to have these skills to help people, I mean, it's like their superpowers in their own right, so. Right, right. I mean, so like I actually wasn't taught how to code necessarily like by someone else. Like when I was, I first started coding when I was six actually on an ac on basically an accident. Um, my mom bought me this toy from VTech called the Pre-Computer 1000 and I got tired of playing <laughs> the built-in games that were on it, you know, the Hangman or whatever. Because, you know, the words started repeating. And so it was like, well, it turns out there was a QBasic tutorial in the uh, in the manual. For some reason, I was a six-year-old that read the user manual for things. 
Um, no, Pre-computer 1000. I mean, it had like 10 buttons or something. <laughs> right. No, we actually had a full keyboard and everything. No, it had a keyboard, but it had like 10 yeah. buttons on that thing. <laughs> no, it had like a full keyboard, but then like also, you know, just a, a one line LCD screen though. So that was like the one constraint. But like, no, I mean, <laughs> that was kind of where I got started. And then like I had an, an uncle, uh, my uncle David, who um, did a bunch of signals and communications work for the army. And, you know, I would go to his house when his, my dad and uh, my uncle were stationed in the same place in North Carolina at one time. And he always had all this computer stuff at the house. And so I was already doing like stuff, you know, building websites and whatever in early elementary school. But I got to see at that point that like, okay, there's another side of this and, you know, kind of mm. go from there. So. I wish we met sooner. My company has a conference next week in the West Coast. And I think you'd be a great speaker and a role model at our at our event so hopefully we can make that happen next year but yeah you know so so i work at salesforce and uh we have um our conference next week but but uh, about one hundred and seventy thousand people are going to be there and a lot of them are there to get as inspired to they want to do more at least that's what i'm hoping for what advice would you give to some of these big companies you you, you mentioned if they came to you and your company and said we want to help we have resources we have income we want to be able to help you and accelerate your goals. Like, what would you? How do we start? How, how, do, how would you advise companies to really deeply think about using their talent and technology to, for the betterment of society? I mean, in our case, it's always a question of funding um, to support things like development, because most of what we do is all software-driven. Um, we built our own crowdfunding platform and that kind of thing, and then we have our own systems for uh, case management to help families out and whatnot. So it comes down to you know donating funding. Um, and then helping us in other ways, such as like, you know, the talent and, you know, can you help us make phone calls to people and customer service and that sort of thing. But I gave a talk earlier this week where I just talked to people about like the same thing that you just asked, like if people want to make change themselves, the three right. things that I would tell people, um, or at least the most important one at least, is like to go out into your own community and find things that are happening um, and, and just like think about the smallest possible thing that you can do to make change with those issues. Because we didn't start off with some massive organization. We just, you know, and we're still not a massive organization, but this was actually a side project originally. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the need kept going on. The more we learned about what was happening, it became clear that we can't just like turn this off just because, you know, um, oh, you know, I have my full-time job or whatever, but, you know, we just kind of, again, just started with the smallest possible thing, and that was building what used to be a really ugly website, and using that, like you said, you know, to connect people in this marketplace for getting help, basically. So, again, I always tell people, pay attention to what's happening in your community, um, go to city council meetings, talk to your neighbors and whatnot, and then, you know, think about how you can use your own technology skills to build the smallest possible solution to that and go from there. Terrific. So, so firsthand experience is what ultimately motivates an individual to get involved. Like you have to feel it, you have to see it. Don't just read about it, but get out there and, 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 and determine how you can add value to, to, to whatever existing processes or limitations that may be to, to help improve, improve the state. Exactly. So, so, so related to all this stuff, I mean, when you think about the, the change that's there, I mean, water is an interesting, right? Are there other places where people um, can help out? Other needs that you're seeing, you know, inside the country, um, you know, around the world as well, that where people can actually create these kind of initiatives? Um, and then the other question I have for you is really about, you know, what kind of foundation support? Like, how do you get foundations excited and interested about this? Because it seems like governments want to do this, but governments are poorly funded to be in a place to help. So. 
Right. I mean, so um, other issues that I like to look at um, that sometimes don't always lend themselves to a technical solution, but there's still things that need support as far as people talking about them. I think about um, trans rights and the fact that mm. Black trans women are being murdered at rates that are just absolutely uh, horrible. Um, but then also, obviously, like immigration in this country is a terrible situation. And we've got, you know, someone just tweeted the other day that they're like, it turns out there were 70,000 kids that were actually uh, separated from their parents, which is way more than the number that we originally um, were told. And I think those two issues for me, um, and of course also, so if you think about, okay, so my three that I pay attention to are trans rights, um, immigration, but then also, um, what's the other one I'm missing now? Um, trans rights, immigration, and then also just like education and like, you know, gun violence. Those are like three other issues besides water that I think if we can work on those things, a lot of people will live in a lot less uh, uh, terrible state than they do, for being honest. And so, yeah. Absolutely. But then your second question, what was your, your second question? It was really about foundations, right? Are you able to get support from the foundations? Because I think for the type of work that you're doing, you do need stable financing and foundations and grant money is probably an area. Have, you, have, you, have they been helping out? right, coming through for you guys, or corporate philanthropies as well? So for both of those, no, actually. <laughs> like well, that's we strange. Have, we we should help you with an appeal there, because that's, that's interesting. So. You should. I would really appreciate that, actually. Um, you know, the thing that I, we, so we have one large foundation donor that, unfortunately, the terms of the grant is that we can't say who it comes from, but they're actually a pretty okay, well-known we'll take it. Right, right. They're a pretty well-known person, um, and um, I'm really stop there. Like, stop there. Like, <laughs> right, they're my like my favorite uh, funder. Keep, keep the funding. Stop there. <laughs> exactly. Like no, but I mean, as far as every other, not every other foundation, but a lot of foundations, they're they're used to certain kinds of work. And if you're not a sure bet, you're not a huge organization. You know, you you get sort of token amounts as far as donations go, um, and you they sort of leave you in this nonprofit starvation cycle. So one of the things that I've actually done is sort of stay away from foundations and we're funded mostly by everyday people. Oh, um, wow. People, you know, if you look at our, our records, most donors of ours are, you know, venture capitalists, people who have, you know, had some kind of tie to Detroit or Baltimore and other places where this is also happening, like, you know, St. Louis and New Orleans. This is actually happening all over the country. It's just that, you know, those two cities are the ones that have had the most press around it. But again, I actually at this point prefer to take funding from just everyday people because it's a lot less onerous of a process as well. You know, foundations will, will you know, um, take forever to give you a decision on $10,000, for example. And so it's more efficient just to take that from a, a, a technology philanthropist with an email that was sent and, and that's it. So, you know, we're a small team, we're barely four people. Most of our, most everything is done by software and it's more efficient to just go for funding where they respect your time. So. And, and people can help by going to DetroitWaterProject.org, right? That's the yes. site. Okay, exactly. just making sure people hear that as well. For those following on radio, it's DetroitWaterProject.org. Okay. So our yeah. first guest, Tiffany, you know, he, you know, he wrote a book, he, he writes a weekly newsletter, he, he has a podcast. What advice do you have um, in terms of, or what, what, how do you get your story out to, to the masses? How can we help? And, and do you, what channels have you found most effective in terms of bringing awareness to your cause and, and then ultimately people that want to roll up their sleeves and, and, and join? How, how, do, how, do you, how do you share your story? 
Sure, mostly through social media, but Twitter um, in particular, it's a lot less pay to play than Facebook is. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we use Twitter a lot and then people, you know, they'll share the fact that they donated or in some cases they'll share the fact that they received a donation. A lot of what we do is also just totally word of mouth based at this point. And so, you know, people who have given will tell, you know, their friends to donate. Some people, we have venture capitalists, for example, like Hunter Walk at Homebrew, who back in September donated his birthday and raised $50,000 in a day almost. Wow. Um, you know, we wow. just get people to, to just kind of grassroots tell the story um, and it goes from there. And so it ends up, you know, we get typical press and things like that. But again, I don't, I don't like to rely on your usual institutions for things. So foundations yeah. and the typical media um, have not actually been like the most helpful over time, but it's, you know, people like you all with podcasts and radio shows and whatnot, where, you know, you see the value in telling a story beyond whether it's newsworthy or not. Yeah. And you see that people are suffering and you want to tell the story regardless. And so I appreciate, you know, being on here and this is what you can continue to do for us. Tell our story and share it with your viewers and have them email things around and, and whatnot. Well, this is a, no. this, this is a first for uh, for me anyway. After 170 episodes, but I don't normally, uh, you know, uh, assign uh, tasks to our guests. But if you're willing to write or co-author an article talking about the importance of what you're doing, I'm happy to publish it on on my platform, which awesome. which is a pretty good audience. So no deadline, no pressure. But I'm always up for uh, sharing an inspiring story that that's helping the world. To a better place. Yeah, and, and thanks to Andrew Nebus, uh, you know, who, for yeah. recommending you to be on the show. I don't know if you know Andrew, but uh, he's yeah, the one Andrew who is said, one of our monthly donors. He's great. Awesome, and, and both uh, Ray and I dabble. He's not. He's not your foundation donor, right? Like, like we know no. something about Andrew. We don't know about. Okay, <laughs> no. so make sure, Andrew, if you're listening, yeah, we'll be calling you. <laughs> so, awesome. awesome. We're here with Tiffany Ashley Bell, executive director at the Human Utility, who's got the most awesome Twitter handle at Tiffany with an I. And uh, thanks for being on the show. We're live coast to coast here. Uh, you can donate to the DetroitWaterProject.org if you're interested on the human utility. Thanks a lot, Tiffany. Thank, Thank you for Tiffany. having me. Thank you very much. Have a good week. Wow, Ray. I mean, Robert, Liz, Tiffany, uh, all of them, all of them yeah. are pushing the boundaries of, you know, physical, spiritual, intellectual capacity and really trying to make a difference. Wow, this is leadership in action, man. Leadership in action. That's exactly right. So Robert, with his amazing content creation capabilities, and of course, he's running a, one of the uh, most revered companies in, in, in Boston. And Liz has been consulting, mentoring CMOs of the biggest, most successful companies around the world. By the way, congratulations. A sign of a, a strong CEO is the ability to recruit uh, incredible talent and uh, you've done oh, it. Hey, thanks, man. But hey, before we get on to episode 171 and 172 happening December 6th, there are no shows November 22nd and 29th. We're back on December 6th. Wow, it's Dreamforce weekend. It is. What's it going is. on with Dreamforce next week? Where will you be? What's going on there? Let's spend oh, a little man. bit of time sharing, that, sharing on that. I, I, I don't have enough time to tell you about all my assignments. One of the things I'm looking most forward to is uh, I'm hosting the Analyst Summit. So we're expecting uh, the world's best and brightest technology analysts, including yourself and your colleagues. On Tuesday, we'll have a fireside chat with our Chief Equality and Human Use Officer, Paula Goldman. You'll have an opportunity to uh, engage with our President and Chief Product Officer, Brett Taylor. We're gonna have a data scientist and a customer at the Analyst Summit that's gonna talk about uh, some incredible use cases of machine learning. 
I have, a, I have a, 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 a keynote that I'm delivering on Wednesday, and I'm going to be talking about how to build a healthy company. Um, so an hour of focusing are on- you, Are you taking selfies with, uh, you know, former President Barack Obama, or <laughs> what's going on with that? I, he's he's about, your special keynote here. I I'm excited about Khaleesi, the, the dragon queen, who's going to be- The there. dragon queen, yeah. So. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> President Obama will be uh, at our event, and of course, Tim Cook will be at our event. There's, there's an extremely large number of luminaries uh, that'll be at the event. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly large conference. I'm happy you're gonna be there. Um, yeah, the schedule is, uh, is, is just amazing and full and packed. Uh, but um, it's, you know, it's our Super Bowl because we get a chance to meet so many customers and partners and analysts and media. Uh, personalities and uh, you know we're just trying to learn as much as we can in four days believe it or not people view it as like you know a conference as you know the entity pushing out knowledge but just like your conference last week and Salesforce next week it's an opportunity for us to learn so I'm looking forward to that it's going to be a pretty busy week and uh, hopefully you and I can break bread numerous times during the week. <laughs> I'm sure we will so <laughs> all right but who do we have December 6th episode 171 December yes yeah, so next week we're both on the road then we have the Thanksgiving week so two weeks we're off so the next show is December 6th and we have Jana Egger Jana Eggers, CEO of Neurologics we have Ott Vater the managing director of e-residency program and one of I know Ray and my favorite repeat guests he's brilliant he's Brian amazing publisher at GigaOM and author and futurist. And he stretches my mind every time he's on the show. I mean, literally, you know, smoke's coming out of my ears because he brings some inc incredible insights to our show. So looking forward to having uh, Mr. Reese back on Disrupt TV. If it's, well, hey. it's Disrupt TV, Ray, closing remarks. Oh, no problem. Hey, happy Friday. Happy Dreamforce. See you next week, man, in person. Thanks, so, take care, everybody. Bye. Mm -hmm.